Well, good morning, and uh, I want to tell you a story. Back in April of 2014, uh, there were several news agencies and many a Twitter account uh, that were all making fun of CNN. And they were doing that because on April 14th, CNN ran a breaking news headline. And I actually have a clip of it here. Uh, We'll put on the screen. This was their breaking news. The Titanic sunk 102 years ago tonight. And so for a while... Uh, CNN had egg on their face and they were the butt of internet jokes around the world for a little bit. And the reason is because they completely missed the point of what breaking news actually is. They missed it by about a century, really. Uh, But we've all done that. We've all missed the point at some time or another, haven't we? I know that I have. I'm sure you have. Maybe someone told you a joke and it just went right over your head. Maybe you were working on a project or activity and you got so focused on one particular aspect uh, that you got tunnel vision and overlooked the obvious and the point of why you started in the first place. And the reason I bring that up is because this is the fourth sermon uh, that we are in on a, ser- on a series on the Sabbath. And it's easy uh, to start thinking about the Sabbath and to end up missing the point. I've hammered into you up until now uh, how important the Sabbath is. We've talked about the need that we have to rest and to worship. I've talked to you about the rhythm of creation, about the command to Sabbath in the Ten Commandments. And by the way, if you want to catch any of those sermons, you can go online and find those. Uh, But the point is that the the, the Sabbath is a big deal. We've seen that it's a big deal in Scripture, and it's not just for Jews. It's really a good idea for us as Christians and really for anybody. But as important as it is, it is possible that we could get tunnel vision and miss the point entirely. And that's where Jesus comes in. So we are finally today going to be talking about Jesus and the Sabbath. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to see two sort of showdowns that Jesus has with the Pharisees about the Sabbath. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 12. If you don't, that's okay. We'll have the verses here on the screen. We're going to go ahead and start with verses 1 through 8. So let me read those for us. It says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look! Your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field. They get hungry and begin to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And apparently... The Pharisees are in or around this same grain field because they see it and they, they basically tattletale 
on the disciples. And they say, look, Jesus, they're doing something wrong. Get them in trouble. This is unlawful. And so the question I want to ask is, was that true? Was it unlawful to break some heads of grain and eat them on the Sabbath? Well, it was definitely unlawful according to the Pharisees. You see, according to Pharisaical law and rabbinical tradition, uh, they had developed a very specific set of guidelines to ensure that nobody broke the Sabbath. And these guidelines included 39 specific areas of work that you could not do on the Sabbath. They were trying to make sure that nobody broke it. And these disciples, they were breaking at least three of these categories. They were reaping, they were threshing, and they were winnowing. Now, additionally, as far as I can tell from reading this text, they weren't social distancing or wearing masks. Okay, that that last part was a joke. Don't take it too seriously. Uh, But you get the idea. They were breaking the rules that the Pharisees had set up about the Sabbath. Now, in response, most of us would say, dude, lighten up. Come on, it's just a few heads of grain. It's not that big of a deal. But that's not actually what Jesus does. That's not how he responds. He doesn't tell these guys to lighten up and that the law isn't that big of a deal. His argument is not that the Pharisees are too legalistic or bound to their tradition. He'll say that elsewhere. No, his argument here is that you guys are missing the point, that they fundamentally misunderstand the law and so they don't know how to apply it. And so the first thing that Jesus does is, like any good Baptist pastor, he pulls out a three-point sermon to make his case. And the first point he gives is the story about David from 1 Samuel chapter 21. Now, to give you a bit of context, David was on the run for his life. He was fleeing from King Saul. King Saul was trying to kill David, and David flees to this little town called Nob. And he goes there into the tabernacle, which was like the temple at the time, and he actually lies to the priest about why he's there. He says, I'm here on a really important mission for the king, and me and the men with me, we're all really hungry, so we need some food. And the priest there says, I don't have any food except for this consecrated bread. I'll give you the bread so long as you and your men are holy and you haven't slept with a woman lately. And David says, of course. And so they give him the bread and David goes on his merry way. So that's what Jesus is referencing. Now here's the thing. The bread that David ate was only supposed to be eaten by the priests. See, every week, they baked 12 loaves of bread to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And they put these loaves of bread on a golden table in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. And they were supposed to stay there for a week. And then the next week, when they baked the new loaves of bread, they would take the old ones down. And those old ones needed to be eaten only by priests. And it had to be in a holy place. They couldn't just eat them anywhere. So there is no question that David clearly broke the law. If you read Leviticus chapter 24, he basically snapped it in half. And yet, the scriptures don't seem to indicate that David did anything wrong. There's no indictment of him, either implicitly in the text or explicitly. In fact, Jesus seems to say here, look, David did it and it was okay. Now here's what's interesting. Jesus tells this story, he references this story, but it has nothing to do with the Sabbath. 
It doesn't say that it was on the Sabbath that David did this. It, it just doesn't mention it at all. And so it might seem at first glance a little weird that David would choose it. See, but here's the thing. Jesus' point is not about the Sabbath per se, but about the entire law. His point seems to be that the law has room for exceptions. He's telling the Pharisees, look, the scriptures that you claim to honor and uphold have a clear example in them of someone breaking the law and getting away with it and it being okay. It's a clear example of an exception. So the question then is, why did David get an exception? Well, it seems to me, as I read 1 Samuel 21, that the priest would not have given the bread to any old Israelite. He knew who David was. David was a uniquely um, qualified person. So he wasn't the king yet. If you're familiar with your Bible, you'll remember that David became king, but this was beforehand. But David was the highest general and warrior in Saul's army. He had a lot of fame around him, and he was anointed to be the next king. And that's, in fact, why Saul was trying to kill him. So the point is, David had status. And so the priest gives him the bread because he knows David and because David has this status. Okay? So hang on to that. We'll come back to it later. But that's Jesus' first point is about David. The second point is about these priests. Did you notice that Jesus says that it's week in, week out, these priests in the temple actually desecrate the Sabbath. Now that word desecrate is actually supposed to catch your attention. Jesus is being intentionally provocative with his language. He's saying these priests are desecrating the, the holy day of the Sabbath, and yet they remain innocent. So the question we want to ask is, how are they desecrating it, and why are they innocent? While they're desecrating it, I think Jesus is probably referring to Numbers chapter 28. And there's a command there that on the Sabbath day specifically, the priests in the temple need to offer sacrifices. They need to offer two lambs, they need to do a grain offering and a drink offering. All of that requires work. And so on its face, it seems that these priests are breaking the Sabbath law. They're working on the Sabbath day. And yet they're innocent. Why? Well, because of the obvious fact that the law told them to do it. So here's the thing. Here's the critical thing that we need to understand. And the Pharisees knew this. Not all laws, even the ones in the Torah, not all laws are created equal. Some things are more important than others, and some laws hold more weight than others. And that's true of every legal system in the world. Our laws are like this. Jaywalking is not the same as theft, which is not the same as murder. And so apparently, these temple laws in Numbers 28 overrode the Sabbath command. And so the priests could desecrate the Sabbath because they were doing something more important. And so by logic, Jesus is saying, if something or someone that's greater than the temple is here, which is exactly what he claims about himself, then that is greater than the Sabbath. Okay, so that's his second point. The priests can desecrate the Sabbath because they are working in the temple and these laws supersede the Sabbath. And Jesus himself is more important. He is greater than the temple. 
Now, Jesus' third point is telling these Pharisees that you guys just don't get it. He quotes to them Hosea 6.6, which says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He says, if you had known what that meant, you would not have condemned the innocent. This is the second time in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus quotes this verse to the Pharisees. It's clearly important to him, and he's saying, you guys are getting it all wrong. You don't understand. You see, the Pharisees, like I said, they knew that all laws were not created equal, and some were more important than others. But they had it backwards. By the way they were acting, it would have been written, I desire sacrifice, not mercy. You see, they understood the sacrifice part. They got the need for ritual obedience to God, probably more than most of us get that need. But they thought that was more important than the mercy aspect. They would have said, yes, mercy, compassion, love, generosity. They would have said those things are important and significant as long as they're within the ritual obedience to the law. And Jesus is saying, you guys have it backwards. God has clearly said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's not about the law. It's about the law giver. The command to Sabbath is not an end in and of itself. You see, the non-work requirement of the Sabbath is not absolute. The scriptures, Jesus says, make an exception for that. And the exception falls under this, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And so my question is for you. Are you a sacrifice person or a mercy person? A lot of us seem to fall into one camp or the other. Are are we a person who loves following the rules? And so you want to hold up those rules and you want to make sure that everyone else around you holds up those rules. Or are you a mercy person? Jesus is saying, be a mercy keeper more than a rule keeper. Now notice, he's not saying that the law doesn't matter. Okay, the point of the, the statement is not that sacrifice doesn't matter at all. We'll get to that later. But Jesus is saying to these guys, you don't get it. And so you misapply the law altogether. You have condemned the innocent. They have missed the point. They are squelching mercy in order to keep the ritualism of the Sabbath. They care about the letter of the law, but they have never met the law giver. And that is exactly who Jesus claims to be in the next sentence when he says that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, the word Lord here is in the emphatic position in the original. What Jesus is doing is underlying it. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He was there when it was created. He is God himself. And so what he's saying is, yes, David got an exception because of his status, but that analogy only really works if Jesus is equal to or greater than David. You see, he's building a case for himself. He is the greater David, and so he gets an exception here. He is greater than the temple, and so he gets an exception here. And not only that, he himself is Lord of the Sabbath entirely. He is God himself, and therefore he is the sovereign interpreter of the law because he's the one who wrote it. And so Jesus is not going to play by their games. Yes, they broke a pharisaical law. But they didn't break anything 
that the Sabbath was there to keep. He is Lord of the Sabbath. And the question is, well, if it's not about keeping the rules then, what does it actually look like to keep the Sabbath? And I think that's what the next story in Matthew is supposed to show us. And so let's put those verses on the screen. This is Matthew 9 through 14. Okay, it says that going from that place, leaving the grain field, he, that's Jesus, went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. And so the setting changes from a grain field to a synagogue. And in the synagogue, there's this man with a crippled hand there. And the Pharisees try to lay a trap. They ask Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? It's not an honest question. They're hoping that he'll answer wrong so they can accuse him. Well, the question is, what was the right answer for the Pharisees? If Jesus had answered correctly, according to them, what would it have been? It would have been, it depends. If it's life-threatening, then yes, it's okay to heal on the Sabbath. But if it's not, no. In fact, there is some rabbinical laws that even forbid setting a broken limb or pouring ice water over a dislocated joint if it's the Sabbath day. What that means is that if they were to apply that rabbinical law today and you broke your leg today, then you would need to wait until tomorrow to put ice on it or to go to the hospital. And so that's their law. But Jesus responds masterfully. He says, come on, guys, think about it. You have a sheep that falls into a hole and you're going to help the sheep, which is worth less than a man. If you're going to help the sheep, which is worth less, on a Sabbath, how much more should you help a human being made in the image of God on the Sabbath day? You see, they weren't against healing. They were against healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, dude, you guys, (laughs) you're, you're not getting it. So he doesn't say yes or no to the healing. He actually says it's lawful to do good. He changes their wording. He gives them a much wider grid to think through rather than just, is it lawful to heal? He says it's lawful to do good. And so the question now is, well, is it good to heal this man with a crippled hand? Obvious answer, yes. And so Jesus heals this man. He says, stretch out your hand, and it says that his hand is completely restored. It's just as healthy as the other. There's no atrophied muscles. It can move. It doesn't take a few days or weeks to recover. It is right then and there just as healthy as the other one. And consider for a minute just how much work that was for Jesus. He, he literally just said, stretch out your hand. He said three words, and this man's hand is healed. This is not breaking the Sabbath law. This is fulfilling it. You see, earlier I talked about how the Sabbath is 
a small taste of what life in Eden was like. And that's what Jesus is doing for this man. Life in Eden wasn't physical suffering. And so he gives this man a small taste of the healing and the life that, that was before. And that's a fulfillment of the Sabbath. In fact, that is being the Lord of the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, instead of going, oh, Jesus, you're right, they leave and they go out plotting how to kill him. Now, how does Jesus respond? That's the next section in Matthew 12. Let's read that. Matthew 12, 15 through 21. Aware of this, aware that they were plotting to kill him, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. So in the interest of time, I don't have time to go into everything here. Um, there's, there's a lot in this passage. But what I want to do is I want to show you one thing that I think Matthew does here that is pretty cool, and I think it wraps up everything he's trying to do in this whole chapter. Okay? And so what he's doing is he quotes from, Matt, from Isaiah chapter 42. He says, Jesus, when he withdraws and heals all these people and tells them not to say anything, that's a fulfillment of Isaiah 42. And he's got this long quote. And what's going to happen is, uh, I'm going to get, by the way, full-on Bible nerdy with you for a minute. So just follow me through the weeds. We'll come out on the other side, okay? So let's put this quote on the screen. This is just the last sentence of that Isaiah 42 quote that Matthew writes. He says, in his name, the nations will put their hope. Now here's the interesting thing. If you actually flip your Bible right now, if you were to flip it over to Isaiah 42, verse 4, that's not what it says. Let me put on the screen what it says. Go ahead. It says, in his law, the islands will put their hope. You see, there's a switch from law to name. Now, this is not evidence of corruption in your Bible. This doesn't mean you can't trust your Bible and it's been one giant game of telephone and it keeps getting messed up. There's interesting, super nerdy textual stuff going on here. And if you want to know more about it, I'd be glad to chat with you. But here's what I think is happening. This switch from law to name is an intentional switch on Matthew's part. Go to the next slide and we'll see how much emphasis Matthew has put on the law in this chapter. He says, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He and his companions ate the bread, which was not lawful for them to do. Haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests desecrate the day? They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus is responding, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And now what Matthew is doing is he's saying that it's not on the law that they will put their hope, but on his name. You see, the switch is all part of what he's doing in this chapter and in his gospel. Jesus doesn't replace or do away with the law. Rather, he is the embodiment of it. 
So it's on his name, on the person of Jesus, that the nations will put their hope, not on the actual written code. And this connects with what Matthew is doing through the chapter and really through his whole gospel. Matthew is the one who makes a big deal about Jesus' name in the beginning when it says they will call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew's making a big deal about the name of Jesus, meaning the person. And he's also portraying Jesus as the one who fulfills and embodies the law, which is why Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. See, Matthew is not changing Isaiah here. He's interpreting it. The point, both in Matthew and in Isaiah, was never that the people's hopes would be in the actual written code of rules, but that obedience to the code would happen only in relationship to God himself. Their hope would be in God, that he would be the one to save them. You see, the Pharisees got preoccupied with obeying the law, and so they ignored the Lord. They were missing the point. Their rules, which began as well-intentioned efforts to keep the law, actually, in the end, made it harder for people to obey them. It estranged them from God because they got so preoccupied with the written code. And so I want you to heed the command of the Sabbath. I want you to see how beautiful and wise it is for us as believers to rest in God's finished work of creation and Jesus' finished work of redemption. I want us to live with the rhythm of the universe. All of that is part of the Sabbath, but all of it also has the potential to become meaningless and counterproductive apart from Jesus. The best it will be apart from him, is simply a day off. You see, this chapter is about the Sabbath finding its fulfillment in Christ. The Sabbath isn't about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is about Jesus. And so Matthew 12 is all about the Sabbath finding its fulfillment in Christ, and it actually begins at the end of chapter 11. And that's where Jesus says these famous words that you've probably heard, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying, I am where you find rest. Not the Sabbath. Not the day itself. It's not in the law. Jesus is the one who brings the true rest that our souls need. Paul makes the same point in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. He says that the Sabbath is simply a shadow of the reality, and the reality is Jesus himself. You see, this whole chapter has been showing us that if we're going to truly observe the Sabbath, the only way to really do that is in and with Jesus Christ. We were not created for the purpose of simply observing a written um, law code. It's not that God created the Sabbath and then created the law and said, hey, I need some people to like obey these things. And so then he creates people. No, 
Humans are created, and even though the Sabbath is woven into the fabric of creation, humans are created, and then all the laws are meant to serve the people. And so Jesus' great statement in Mark 2.27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, the Pharisees needed to hear that last part, that, the man, was not, that man was not made for the Sabbath. We need to hear the first part, that the Sabbath was made for us. We need it. It was created to help us rest and worship. It's part of creation. It's part of God's commands. But ultimately, we will miss the point if we try to do any of that apart from faith in Jesus. We need to come first to Christ and to embrace the rest that he gives us. And then when we practice the weekly habit of a Sabbath of stop working and begin resting and worshiping, when we actually begin that practice as followers of Jesus, we don't do it as a bunch of legalistic dinguses like the Pharisees. We do it as people who are putting our faith in Christ. And the Sabbath becomes yet one more way that we are routinely abiding in Jesus, finding in him the rest and worship we need. And as we do that, that does include acts of kindness, compassion, and mercy. And so, as I close, I want to ask you, where are you putting your hope? Is it in the law or is it in his name? Matthew is telling us it's in the person of Jesus. That's where we need to put our hope. Our hope is not in a day. It is in the ancient of days, the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ. And as important as the practice of a Sabbath day is, without Christ, it will never live up to its purpose. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you personally in public for the rest you've given me, for the refreshment that's come to my soul through your completed work, through your kindness and grace and mercy. I want to pray for those in our church and whoever else might be watching who are feeling weary and burdened, who need rest. Lord, may they please come to you. May they put their hope in you and not simply in a law or in a practice of a day off. And may they come to you, Lord Jesus. Amen.